It's not just good conversation, it's your voice on the weekends. Weekends with Kenny Rahmeyer on News Radio KLBJ. I've been listening to the show, and I really appreciate your comments. I say you're a moron for calling people names. I'm a fan. Thanks for being fair and balanced. You really are, man. Thank you. Come on, talk to me. What's going on? What's going on? What's going on? Good afternoon, everyone. It's a Thanksgiving holiday weekend. Thanks for being with us on News Radio KLBJ. Kenny Rahmeyer with you. Here we are. Thanksgiving weekend is wrapping up. And uh, about five weeks before Christmas. And what do you know? What a treat. What a holiday treat to run into none other than. He used to be known as Deck the Halls. Don Deck the Halls Pryor. Oh, is that right? Don Deck the Halls. I never heard that one. (laughs) Okay. Don Pryor, welcome back. Well, I was just uh, KLBJ, buddy. Wandering around the building, I just find myself here sometimes, just wandering aimlessly. <laughs> uh, I just am, am drawn here like a magnet. Sure, you are. Well, the beautiful Christmas decor out in the lobby, right? Yes, that's worth. Wanted the trip. to see that, and uh, it's just festive as heck. And so uh, even back. more so now that you're here. How's how's things been going? How's things uh, are good. retirement these days? Retirement, uh, I, I'm, I think I'm going to be pretty good at it. Okay. I'm, I have just enough laziness to embrace it <laughs> quite well. And um, Starting big fan to catch up on your sleep by this still, time? I, f- I still feel like I'm catching up on sleep. Mm. I, I really do. I, I, I just... And I cannot tell you what a pleasure it is just to be able to lay in bed and until your eyes open because you've had enough sleep. Yeah. Love it. How about that? Well, good for you. And I know that you and the lovely Mrs. Pryor have done a lot of uh, traveling Yeah, over the retirement days. Right? Yeah. In fact, we just did a, a great trip to Santa Fe, ah. and we bought uh, everybody turquoise. Oh, for, there's, for we're giving Christmas. it away for Christmas. Yes. The turquoise capital of the world. So, uh, nice yeah. place to go, though, right? I've heard. Yeah, it's it beautiful. We had beautiful weather up there, and uh, I think I got COVID while I was there. But oh. you know, other than that, <laughs> hopefully you left it there. Yeah, yeah, done with that. So you're talking about Christmas shopping here. It is, as I mentioned, five weeks until Christmas. That's hard to believe, right? Here we are, the year of your retirement, and now here we are, almost uh, end of year. Can't believe it. Cannot believe it. And um, of course, I've I've done nothing. I just realized that I've got I've got to get the I got to get up in the attic probably oh, this it's, weekend. It's that tradition. Get the stuff down. Here we go. So the missus can uh, can hang it all right. <laughs> Create our Christmas wonderland. Well, yes. You split it up. You get the stuff down, and then she takes it from there. That's it. As it should be. That's it. You're talking about shopping this holiday season, according to the experts, shaping up to look a lot like the pre-COVID years retail sales expected to increase three to five percent this season and get this thanksgiving day when a lot of people were just eating and then trying to recover watching some football etc sure. standard consumers spent a record 5.6 billion dollars online on thanksgiving day just not even black friday one day on thanksgiving over $5.5 billion online. People sitting there, already bored on the couch. Let's go punching, shopping. Punching away. 
the toys, electronics, uh, Barbie dolls, Marvel action figures, gaming consoles like the PlayStation 5, Xbox Series X. Those were some of the big sellers. Still, Xbox, still the... Th- Still the thing for sure, yeah. and then maybe for the uh, for the older kids, how about some robot vacuums, <laughs> tablets, of course, workout gear, and more holiday decor. Yeah, how about that? Got to have plenty of stuff out in your yard, of course, for Christmas. But already, even before Black Friday, that's extraordinary. I, I guess it's that that fiscal confidence that's been instilled by Joe Biden in all of us. <laughs> Just you know, one of the many byproducts of Bidenomics. Yeah, you're saying exactly. Look at you keeping up with current events, even though you're you would rather talk about the Israeli Hamas conflict today. I know foreign policy was always your wheelhouse. I was hoping. I was hoping that we take now, the deep dive. We'll save but. that for a little bit later. National Retail Federation predicts total holiday sales. Don is going to be. $957 billion to $966 billion, somewhere in that range, depending on how much you, how much turquoise you bought. Mm-hmm. And $957 to $966 billion for this holiday season. Well, uh, for some reason, people are, w- with high interest rates and inflation and all of that, somehow people are still feeling it. And so. Still got to play Santa Claus, right? Listen. Let's 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 go. Uh, I I I think I'll be responsible for. Oh, I don't know, fifty six dollars of that. Perfect. Yeah. That's per- it's a thought that counts. Tim is worth every <laughs> penny, every penny. You mentioned Black Friday. You know, I think a lot of us over the years have come to know Black Friday as that point in time. It's a big time for retailers, obviously. So they're operating profitably in the black, so to speak, not in the red. Yeah. And that's what Black Friday has kind of come to mean. According to the New York Times, the term Black Friday actually got started back in the 1960s. The Philadelphia police officers gave it that term on the day after Thanksgiving mm-hmm. and before the annual Army-Navy football game on Saturday. I guess the tourists would just swarm the retailers in Philadelphia. The crowds would overwhelm law enforcement, and they just kind of gave it the term uh, Black Friday because they were just totally uh, overmatched. Of And yet, as time went along, it says retailers were interested in the term, but it kind of got lost on many people of the original reason for it. And then when it came to talking about profitabilities, that made sense. So they just said, let's go with that. So the original term has a very negative connotation. Right. Which, if you think about it, as time went along, (laughs) things kind of reverted to the mean, right? Because then you would have those doorbuster specials, right? You can remember those days? Oh, a lot. When the retailers would extend the hours and yeah, they would line up. And of course, next thing you know, (laughs) There's there's melee and mayhem and people getting trampled and uh, yeah. all of that. Yeah, yeah. Women fighting in the aisles. Exactly. <laughs> Wasn't worth the unruly crowds. And, uh, and in fact, New York Times says there were occasional, occasional casualties. It's not America at its best. It, <laughs> it's, it's, not. it's not our best look. On the one sure. hand, it is. We, we consume. We're very good at that. Just Economically. Take a look around us. Right. But... But on the other side of it... Yeah, yeah, the visual is never all that good. Not so much. So, with the advent of online 
retailing and online purchases, the, the casualties and the unruly crowds kind of went away. We don't hear quite so much about that. Let's hope not. I think a lot of people, safety first, right? Let's just stay home and yeah. get out the uh, the tablet and well, I think knock we, it out. That's demonstrated on this past Thanksgiving Day. If, if people are already doing that online the day before Black Friday, good night. No doubt. And then, there's, of course, all the, all the preparations in the stores. Nordstrom's was singled out in a, in a very interesting piece here. They start about a year ahead of time on their prep for all the, the decor and all the lights and just everything. It's just a, a massive undertaking to think of getting all their stores ready. And one thing in particular, they say they've got a, a reel of 30,000 Christmas songs in the rotation. 30,000? <laughs> there are 30,000 different Christmas songs, yeah. or at least different, probably different versions. You're a musician. You know them all probably, right? So, uh, Little Drummer Boy? I think this is when Mariah Carey... <laughs> This is her Black Friday, That's, for sure. Yeah. And if I hope, did Taylor Swift come out with a Christmas album? Because, uh, oh my course, goodness. I, it's, it's, I'm sure. It, it's, come on. We're glad to have you with us, talking a little holidays cheer with none other than Don Pryor, here on News Radio KLBJ. Stay with us. Well, it's Thanksgiving weekend. A lot of travelers between now and the first of the year. Let's take a few minutes just to give you some updates on a couple of the major road construction projects that you see every day around Austin. Here to help us do that today is James Bass, the Executive Director of the Central Texas Regional Mobility Authority. James, thanks for being with us on KLBJ. No, thanks for having us. I'd really like to uh, get into some of the details on some of the big projects that you guys are working on that our listeners are, are seeing every day around town, but before we do that, give us just a, a quick overview, if you would, please, of what the Central Texas Regional Mobility Authority is all about. Sure. One of the ways I like to describe it is we operate some of the toll roads in the Austin area, but not all of the toll roads. And so we um, just passed our 20-year anniversary, and to date we have helped uh, deliver toll roads uh, in the Austin area. That would be 183A. 290, the express lane there in front of the airport on State Highway 71, 45 Southwest, the express lanes on Mopac, and then also um, the 183 toll heading out towards the airport as well. Very good. And for those of us that are not immersed in, in your kinds of business on a daily basis, what just top level, what's the difference between TxDOT and and, and Central Texas Regional Mobility Authority, and maybe you can put it in, in these terms. You guys, for example, are doing a heck of a lot of work on 183, and then just kind of right around the corner, TxDOT's doing a lot of work on 360 and even 620. So how do we decide who works on what? So a lot of that happens at the Metropolitan Planning Organization level, and here in Austin, that's CAMPO the Capital Area Metropolitan Planning Organization, mm -hmm. and they look at the mobility needs of a region. They work with TxDOT and, and other entities. Uh, with TxDOT, through their 10-year program, they have kind of projected and planned funding that the MPO is able to work with them and see how much they're able to deliver within that um, projected funding stream. What happens oftentimes is the needs are greater than that funding stream. And so then the MPO would then look to us 
to see if a road would be viable to be delivered potentially as a toll road. And that's what's happened on the, the roads that we've delivered so far um, today and a couple of roads that we have um, under construction right now. Very good. And I think as you touch on toll roads, important for our listeners to understand uh, if any linkage between our tax dollars and, and toll roads. Would you touch on that, please? So most of our toll roads are funded with um, toll revenue debt. So we go to the, the bond market, go to Wall Street and borrow uh, funds, and then we collect the revenues off of the toll roads and use those to pay back the money that's been borrowed. Um, over time, we have also had some uh, programs with the U.S. Department of Transportation. They have a, a loan program that we've taken advantage of there. And then through some different uh, projects, I'll speak about the uh, express lanes on Mopac. So south of Palmer down to the river, there are express lanes there, and we have an agreement with the uh, MPO that provided funding for that particular uh, lanes on that roadway. And then we're making contributions back to the MPO um, over time. Okay, very good. And you all are primarily focused maybe exclusively in Travis and Williamson County. Is that right? That is correct. We have um, three board members from each county appointed by the county commissioners, and then our chairman is appointed by the governor. Okay, well, we won't have time to do it justice in terms of all the progress that's been made in 183 uh, Barton Skyway, the ramp, and so forth. But we'll we'll definitely get some of the highlights from you. And let's start with those 183 projects. I know, I think you all break it down into 183 uh, Phase 3 or 183A and then 183 North. Let's go with 183 North. I got to say, from the uh, from the Mopac interchange on North, you guys have really been moving some dirt there. Yeah, there's a lot of progress being made Um on there that project's been underway for a while and some of the most recent activity that you've seen if you've traveled that corridor is paving going on in the median Mm -hmm. and once that paving has been completed the contractor will be able to shift traffic into the median which will then allow them to work on uh, widening of the non-told lanes they're going to be pushing out some of the retaining walls for those that have traveled that corridor over the years, you've probably noticed kind of a, a reappearing and disappearing fourth lane that <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. sometimes there's three, then there's four, then there's three. Yeah. As part of this project in partnership with TxDOT, TxDOT is funding uh, the part that's going to make that fourth lane continuous throughout the corridor. We're then funding the, ex- the told express lanes in the middle but really for driver convenience, uh, we didn't want those two projects to happen uh, sequentially. Uh, we didn't want two contractors fighting in the same footprint. And so we worked together and you know, they provided funding for their elements of the project. And we're providing funding for our elements of that project. Okay. And, and there's also, if I understand it, going to be a little bit of additional work around uh, Jollyville Road and Lake Creek Parkway and uh, even some connections for our bicyclists, right? Yes. On that uh, particular stretch of the roadway, we're doing a lot of work on sidewalks and driveways, um, you know, which will enhance safety for pedestrians. And many of the current sidewalks that are there along the U.S. 183 frontage roads, 
are in disrepair over the years. They may be non-existent or not ADA compliant. And so we're going through and improving um, all of those and making sure that there's going to be continuous sidewalks along the entire corridor. Yeah, and, and what's your anticipated time frame for, for finishing that one up, James? It should be uh, completed in early 2026. As always, we look for ways to deliver the project even sooner, but right now it's um, looking like early 2026. Okay, well, let's move on to uh, 183A. I know a lot of work's been done there as well. Yep, and so 183A, Phase 3, is extending the existing toll road that's there, existing it to the to the north, um, about a little over five miles from Hero Way to just north of State Highway 29. And this is more of a uh, traditional toll road, if you will. And so if you've driven on that stretch of 183 um, over the years, you've noticed probably a big grassy median in the middle. Mm -hmm. And that's where our work is going on right now is putting in the uh, toll road in that that grassy median. And that particular project um, started a little bit earlier and it's scheduled to be completed in early 2025. And as part of that project, we're also doing a uh, shared use path for bicycle and pedestrians from Hero Way up to Seward Junction. Okay. Well, you mentioned a moment ago some work around Barton Skyway ramp, I guess, southbound to Mopac and Bee Cave. And uh, tell us about that, if you would, please. Yeah, and on southbound Mopac, um, after you cross the river there at Barton Skyway, there were a couple of entrance ramps where vehicles had to merge together. So we're adding some additional pavement to give vehicles more time to merge and get on the, the main lanes if they if that's their ultimate destination. Mm-hmm. And then as you continue south, there are currently there are three lanes that continue south with the leftmost lane being an optional exit to 360. What happens is the vast majority of traffic in that leftmost lane ends up exiting on 360. So in effect, you almost only have two through lanes going through that um, intersection. So at the end of this job, that leftmost lane will become an exit only okay. for 360. And then we'll be adding an additional third lane of, of pavement, so you'll truly have three throughput lanes um, heading south. And from the traffic modeling, that shows that that will kind of free up that uh, historically congested, you know, stretch of roadway, and hopefully get people where they're going a little bit um, quicker, and as always, uh, hopefully safer than it, it would be before. Okay. Well, that's been real helpful. Some some good updates on some of the key parts of town there. We're talking with James Bass, Executive Director of the Central Texas Regional Mobility Authority. Before we wrap up here, James, anything else, any other major projects we haven't touched on that are where you're moving dirt today? I want to ask you, I know you got some environmental studies for some future projects, but anything else we've missed around town here? No, the the 183A Phase 3, 183 North, and Barton Skyway are really the the three active construction projects that we have underway. Very good. And so I mentioned environmental studies. I know that's one of the first things that uh, that happens when you guys begin to do major projects. What's what's on the drawing boards right now? So the the project that's currently in environmental would be Mopac South. 
and that would be an extension of the existing express lanes um, that go to the north of the river. This would possibly be extending those from the river south all the way down to uh, Slaughter Lane. We've had a number of public meetings, and we're continuing through that um, process. One of the questions to be answered through that environmental process is, one, will the project be built? And then, two, if a project is to be built, would that be um, one express lane in each direction or possibly two express lanes in each direction? Mm Mm-hmm. And then I think I heard something as we wrap up here, something about a 290 extension. Is that uh, is that something we could talk about today or too soon? Uh, it may be a little bit too soon. I think we've heard discussions in the transportation community. So as you travel 290 towards Maynard and Elgin, right now our toll road ends just as you're getting to Maynard. So it's just to the east of State Highway 130. Mm-hmm. With all of the development going on in that area of Travis County, that existing roadway has become more and more congested. And so people are starting to talk about what is needed, what needs to happen there in the future and go to go forward. I would say it's too soon at this point to say if we as the Regional Mobility Authority will have a role to play in that improvement or if that will be something that will ultimately be delivered by TxDOT. But I know people that are driving that corridor um, every day are are looking for some relief. Yeah. Well, speaking of relief, uh, it was a long, hot summer, and that's we all slogged through that. uh, And I guess, I mean, it's tough for your guys out there working hard every day. On the other hand, you had a lot of good weather to to make a lot of progress over the summer, didn't you? Yeah, exactly. I wish it wasn't quite so hot, but the, the lack of rain, isn't good for anything except for construction activity, right? Yeah. They're able to to work from sunup to sundown um, and get a lot of production in. Yeah. Well, this has been real helpful, uh, James. We appreciate the update on what's going on around town on the 183 projects, the Barton Skyway ramp and, and all the rest. Uh, James Bass, Executive Director of the Central Texas Regional Mobility Authority. Thanks again for being with us on KLBJ. Thanks, Kenny. Appreciate the invite. Good to be with you on this Thanksgiving weekend on KLBJ. You know, a holiday weekend's a good time for us to talk about drinking responsibly, as well as the very serious topics of substance use disorders and alcohol use disorders. And here to help us do that today is Laura Elmore. She's Chief Executive Officer of the Sobering Center, serving Austin and Travis County. Laura, thanks a lot for being with us on the program today. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. So the Sobering Center has been around for a while, but for those not familiar with it, Laura, tell us just briefly what the Sobering Center is and maybe just as importantly what it is not. Sure. Well, the Sobering Center has um, actually been around about five years now, so in the grand scheme of things, it's maybe a little young. Um, what we do is we help people to sober up safely as an alternative to jail or the emergency room. So um, typically what that means is that people who are publicly intoxicated um, historically would be arrested. Public intoxication is technically illegal. Um, Or if they were intoxicated enough that it was seeming to create a medical issue, then they may end up in the hospital. 
the sobering center is is a diversion opportunity for those individuals to be so that they can avoid the collateral consequences of a record um, and also avoid the expenses of um, medical bills. So our um, our agency is a nonprofit organization. We are staffed by um, EMTs and medics and social workers and counselors and people in recovery themselves. And so we are a safe and compassionate place for people to get sober and also um, learn about options for long-term treatment if that is needed. And so that's a great overview, Lauren. I appreciate that. When I said want to make sure people understand what it's not, I mean, you you all do have some limitations. You do have some... I, I guess, uh, you know, some guidelines, some things that you're only going to go so far and you can only do so much uh, based on the way right. your model is set up and so forth, right? Do you want to touch on that briefly? Right. Yeah, so we're, we are not a detox. Um, we're not a licensed treatment center. So we're not someplace where you can go um, and stay for 30 days, for example, and and get um, the treatment that you need for an actual substance use disorder. What we are is, I like to think of it kind of as a standing ambulance for um, intoxication or substance use. We do um, have people who stay here for a little bit longer than the, the traditional sobering up. Safe sobering process takes probably 8 to 12 hours or so, mm-hmm. uh, maybe a little less. But there are people who, when they sit down and do an assessment, we realize this isn't just a one-night thing. This is a chronic pattern. This may be um, indicative of a longer-term issue, in which case we do connect people to longer-term care, such as a formal you know, residential treatment center or outpatient treatment center. Okay, very good. So I've, I've taken a look at your website. Uh, there's a lot of things that we could talk about. We won't be able to do it all justice here today, but... I know that a big part of what you all do, there's, it's called a process of care, diversion, safe sobering, and intervention. You want to take each one of those and maybe just give us kind of a, a brief synopsis of how the process works, please? Sure. So our largest referral partners are actually um, APD and EMS. So you're most likely to show up at the sobering center um, via the police or an ambulance. And that's kind of the process of diversion. And so that's what I meant when I said that, you know, it's it's an alternative to jail or an alternative to the hospital. Mm -hmm. And when the person shows up, what they're going to first see is a medic. That person's going to be an EMT or a paramedic. And that person's going to first tell them I'm a medic. You know, um, I'm not a police officer. You're not in jail. You're not in trouble. There are no charges or fines associated with this. What I want to do is take your vitals and make sure you're safe to stay here and make sure that, um, you don't need any other kind of immediate medical attention, like say from a hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they kind of get a determination at that point of how intoxicated are they and what level of monitoring and care will they need. One thing that I think is um, a, a misunderstood about alcohol is that even though it's legal, it is actually quite toxic and um, it is possible to die from alcohol withdrawal. Yeah. It is not possible to die from say cocaine withdrawal. Mm-hmm. So um, while alcohol is very socially acceptable, it's very legal, it's very common for people to be publicly intoxicated, especially in Austin where we have a culture of, you know, um, nightlife, live music, entertainment, that right. type of thing, um, university culture. It's actually quite dangerous to come down from alcohol. And so our medics at that point will make an assessment as to how closely this patient needs to be monitored so that they, we want to prevent the negative consequences of sobering 
or withdrawal. Yeah, um, and that's the, the safe sobering part of it that you. Were, that's the safe sobering yeah. part, right? And so they're monitored at that at each level, depending on how intoxicated they are. And then once they get sober enough to sit down with a counselor, that's when we do kind of the assessment process and decide what kind of intervention is needed. So if this is a person who went out for one night, had a bad night, um, doesn't, you know, doesn't typically do this, we might just sit down and the intervention might be educational. It might be, let's talk about binge drinking. Let's talk about your size as it relates to how much alcohol you can have safely. Let's talk about how to find safe rides home. Let's talk about how to take care of yourself, kind of a harm reduction, education, public health approach. If we sit down and do the assessment and the patient has is demonstrating signs of an addiction or long-term chronic substance use disorder, perhaps, mm-hmm. then we will start looking at a stronger intervention, which might be connecting them to treatment if they are interested. Yeah, and you have uh, counseling, right, for substance of use or these disorders, uh, same way for alcohol use disorders, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, we, we all consider it all one thing, really, alcohol and other drugs. So um, it could be alcohol, it could be methamphetamines, it could be crack, it could be marijuana. Any, any intoxication um, w- is eligible. Um, and yes, we have licensed chemical dependency counselors. We also have people who have been through a recovery process themselves that work in all, in all positions in, yeah. our, in our organization. Well, it's great to have that level of expertise in the mix. I, I guess I'm just curious, maybe some of our listeners are as well, how receptive are those that you end up working with in these kinds of situations? Do they, I mean, I guess I'm thinking, do you see a lot of the same people? Are those that you work with many times receptive to the assistance? They'd like to get help or do they reject everything you're trying to do and just kind of say, let me out of here? Yeah, we see both. Um, yeah. You would be probably surprised to know that about, uh, of our patients are one-time visitors. Mm. Um, uh, We never see them again. About 30% of our patients are repeat visitors, and we don't necessarily see that as a bad thing. We Mm -hmm. see that as every time they come to see us is an opportunity to engage. Every time they come to see us is an opportunity to avoid a much worse consequence for them, um, such as death on the street, um, such as incarceration or... um, waiting in the ER for too long. So we're trying to help take pressure off the first responders and and the hospitals and the jail, as well as help the patient directly in order to make kind of a different choice. We definitely see people, like I can give you an example of a patient who was picked up by EMS 75 times in 135 days in one summer. Um, And we probably saw him 12 times before he even agreed to talk to us. And uh, once he did... He said he was ready to go to detox, but going to detox at 8 a.m. on a Sunday if you uh, don't have health insurance is not a possibility in our city. Mm. It's just not something you can do. And so we ended up keeping him at the sobering center for five days to get him into care. And so what we do find is that when the patient says they're ready, we need to act right then, and we need to try to get them into care as soon as possible. Unfortunately, the wait lists for treatment in Texas are very long, so it takes us a long time to get somebody into treatment, and that is difficult on the patient. So oftentimes they will give up in that process. Um, it's just really, really a lot of hoops and barriers. 
But we do see that once people say they want to go to treatment and they agree to stay with us until we can get them a bed, mm-hmm. we can get do a warm handoff about 95% of the time. Wow. And I guess that's where a lot of these, uh, I think you call them referral partnerships, come in. Would that be right? Mm-hmm. Yes. And, and there would be two-way referral partnerships. So we may refer to a treatment bed um, or a sober living facility. Um, but people refer to us as well. When we first opened, the only way to get to the sobering center was in a sirened vehicle. It was only, you know, you have to come in the back of a police car or an ambulance. Right. Since, since 2020, we have added about 75 other referral partners. So there are other entities such as Capital Metro, the University of Texas, the Austin Public Library, Integral Care, Safe Alliance, multiple different organizations can call us and say, hey, we've got somebody here who's intoxicated. We're not sure what to do. We don't want to escalate the situation. Can we bring them to you? I see. So we have partnerships like that as well. And then we're starting to kind of open up our referrals a little bit more to where we want for people to be able to call as a concerned citizen and just say, hey, I'm with somebody here who, you know, isn't necessarily in the public, but is very intoxicated and needs help and they're ready to talk to somebody, can I bring them in? And we're a 24-7 facility. 24-7, I'm just curious, just just take a, a, if there is such a thing, a regular Friday or Saturday night in downtown Austin. Laura, what's, Mm -hmm. I mean, give us some numbers. How many people are your your team, how many people are they encountering or dealing with on any given weekend night, for example? Well, it's... It's not as many as you would think. Um, our, we have about 16 beds, and so our facility is fairly small. We started out as kind of a, a pilot project that the city had never tried before, mm-hmm. and we've only been open for five years. So we're just now starting to um, – we're able to demonstrate outcomes now. So we're about to add a few beds, so we'll end up going up to 20 beds. Mm-hmm. Um, and it will fill up on a weekend night, and it, it sounds like a small number of people, but when all 20 of them are intoxicated in a small room, it's – it's pretty overwhelming right, <laughs> for the understand. staff. Um, but yeah, and if we if they can't come to us, then unfortunately they w- will have to end up going to jail or the hospital. Um, obviously, there's more people than that in Austin on a Friday or Saturday night. They're intoxicated. This is a, pe- a group of people that have somehow drawn attention to themselves or have asked for help or the police or EMS or some other entity has said this is concerning enough to us that it is an impact to public health or public safety. Yeah. As we begin to wrap up with Laura Elmore, she's the chief executive officer of Sobering Center here in Austin. Um, I I guess you mentioned outcomes, and I'm kind of curious, Laura, do you have any kind of data then, as you've been in business now for several years, give us any sense for how well some of the people you've worked with are doing? Uh, Have you been able to track that and, and keep records, that kind of thing, so far? We don't have as many long-term data um, outcomes as you would think because, we, like I said, we operate a little bit more like an emergency room. So mm. we don't actually often hear back from our patients. So they're not here very long. Yeah. Um, but I can tell you that we're, we're able to divert about 55% of the public intoxication cases away from the jail in Austin um, and about 60% or so of the um, what would be EMS trips to the hospital. By doing that, we are... Um, we are improving outcomes for the patients, but also for the community. We've demonstrated through an external cost-benefit analysis that every dollar that the city puts into the sobering center, the community gets back a dollar sixty-five. So every time we do one of those diversions, we're saving time and money for the police, for the hospitals, for the ambulances, for 
the jail for the local government and the taxpayers there, therefore. Wow, that's an interesting stat. For every dollar put into your organization, the community, the return is roughly $1.65. Is that what you said? Yes, that's correct. That's an amazing statistic. Um, as we wrap up here, Laura, I know that, I mean, you've got to have an incredible uh, group of, of people helping staff and, and, and do all the things that you all do here. And I know you've on your website, you've got job opportunities as well. I guess I just want to make sure you give some awareness to people if they'd like to get involved of on any kind of basis. How is the best way to do that? Sure. Um, our website is www.soberingcenter.org, and there are job opportunities there as well as volunteer opportunities. Um, there's also opportunities to donate since we are a 501c3 nonprofit. There's a, an email address on the website. It should be info at soberingcenter.org. Um, and our, our phone number is 512-957-1900. And we're open 24-7, 365. Very good. It's been great talking to you. Thank you for this valuable information and for the work that you all are doing. Laura Elmore, Chief Executive Officer of the Sobering Center here in Austin, serving Austin and Travis County. Thank you so much for being on the program, Laura. Thank you so much for your interest. Take care. Hey, welcome back. It's a holiday treat here on this Thanksgiving holiday weekend with five weeks before Christmas, none other than the one and only Don Pryor in studio for a little holiday cheer. Mm. Good to see you again, Donald, as always. Love to uh, sit in here every now and then with Remember you. how one of the first times we got together on a morning show or, or whenever it was, and uh, I was calling you Donald and you were calling me Kenneth, and we had some why of our texters get, were upset with that. Why did we get off to such a formal beginning? Uh, I don't know that I've ever called you Kenny. Not sure how that yeah. worked out, but here we are all here these years are. later. And one of us, as I always said, went on to fame and fortune during that <laughs> intervening time. Well, <laughs> it's all relative. I got me thinking, of, of course, around Christmas times, you, you think about uh, times past, and I uh, was always honored to have known and, and sat in the studio with your dad right. on many special occasions. We did Christmas with Cactus many times. You might yeah. remember we had lots of his buddies come in and spend a little quality time talking about Christmas. It was amazing. Yeah. All the, the, uh, all the big names in town, and I would just call them and say, Cactus would like to do a Christmas show with you. Are you available? They said, when do I need to be there? Uh-huh. What, how many it, years did you do that? Several. Don't remember yeah. exactly, but um, several. It was, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. Heard a lot of great stories in that amount of time. One in particular was uh, when, I guess, you all, your dad in particular, was in the dog business. Mm-hmm. Had had some kennels or something Hatches like that. Briars Canine Hilton. There you go. <laughs> a top-notch <laughs> establishment, kind of I'm sure. Very cool. What was the? Give us a quick summary of that. What that was all about. Dad, well, it was one of those things where you know, well, Dad raised Labrador retrievers and trained them and uh, ran them in field trials. Reason I ask about dogs: the Wall Street Journal did a cost of ownership analysis of many different dog breeds. Number one, cost, affection, trainability. Huh? Overall, the rat terrier comes out on top, according to to their analysis. Small dog. Mm-hmm. Relatively yeah. small. Yeah. yeah. Huh. And I think a rat terrier, because they were good for, for chasing rats back in the day, and would just they would just catch them and throttle their necks, and, and that's how they 
that took care of them. If we I, finally got our rat situation under control at the house. So ah, how many no, cats did you have to burn through for that? Yes, several, several. Do they do cost of ownership on cats, by the way? Uh, it would be in the millions. It would be in the millions, <laughs> yes. The... Um, $28,573, the lifetime cost, they say, for a rat terrier. Hmm. About $29,000, roughly. And then, of course, you've heard this, the French Bulldog, the most expensive puppy on the list. Just the starting price, $2,800 on average. But the, the most popular breed in the United States. The Australian Cattle Dog is, is the bargain on the list, $450 for, for one of those... Just a little food and water every now and then, that'll do it? Well, yeah, yeah. I guess. So, no um, no need of course, to give them shots. They always talk about you can go out and, and do an adopt-a-pet, and that's always a good way yeah. as well. But i just never seen the breakdown on the, uh, on the dogs and cost of ownership. So, bound to be a lot of people getting a new puppy for Christmas, right? So sure. you got to keep those things in mind. Go to the puppy stand. Don, we're about out of town, uh, time. Or a town. And maybe out of town. Yeah. If, depending on where you're headed for the holidays. So Always just a great, to to, uh, great to run into you, and happy holidays to you and yours. You're looking good, and uh, it's good to see you. Appreciate Always. It. Happy yeah. holidays. Thanks for being with us here on KLBJ. Mm-hmm.